0: It's great to see you. Hey, my name is Jeff Hughes, and I serve as Connections Pastor here. And whether if you're joining us in the room or if you're online, traveling, getting back from Grandma's house or wherever you were for Thanksgiving, welcome. We're so glad that you are with us. Well, we just concluded a three-part series on missions, and if you've missed any of the last three Sundays... I highly wanna recommend that you go check them out online. They were great, great messages by Pastor Greg, our our senior pastor, and so you should listen to them as they set the tone for where we're going and what God is doing with us. This morning, I wanna talk about the importance of walking in wisdom, walking in wisdom. Our text is from the book of Ephesians, chapter five, verses 15 to 21. If you'll make your way there and then stand together to honor the reading of God's word, would greatly appreciate it. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You may be seated. This is the word of God. Well, these verses have some amazing advice for us. Friends, this was great direction when it was written around 2000 years ago by the apostle Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words to the church at Ephesus. And it continue to be great direction for us today. What can we learn out of these six verses that can guide our lives? How can we walk in wisdom? Well, I wanna point out the, the first two words from these verses, be careful. How many times have you heard those words? Maybe from your parents, maybe if you are a parent, you've said them. I heard those words quite a bit from my parents growing up, which I think is a reason that they tend to need to come out of my mouth with my children, right? Have you been there? Be careful. I have no idea how many times my parents said the phrase, be careful, but I can tell you that it was a lot. I do know this, especially as I've grown up. They said, Be careful because of their love for me. And Paul is saying this here. He's opening these verses with these words Be careful because he loves these people. And so it's important for us to be reminded of why they are in this place. He wants the very best for them, he cares about their well being. And Paul is saying to these believers, Pay attention how you live. It matters. Now, if you get one thing, really one thing this morning, pay attention how you live, it matters. How many of you have discovered that you don't accidentally live right? At least not very easily. Now you can accidentally live wrong in a million different ways. You can drift with the current of society and mess up your life with very to none planning whatsoever, right? But if our lives are going to be meaningful and I hope they are, if they're going to be wholesome if they're going to be rewarding then we have to exercise some diligence and some thought. So this text says, be careful how you live. So how should we live our lives? There are four things, four directives, if you will, that the Apostle Paul gives the church at Ephesus here in Ephesians chapter five that I want us to dive into here this morning. And the first thing is, he says, to make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. I wanna encourage you personally, individually, to make the most of every opportunity. But I also want you to know, this is something that we're planning to do together here as a church as well. Now hear me on this. The opportunities that God has given us as a church, which we have begun to unpack over the last three or four weeks, they are amazing. Isn't it exciting to hear and to think about what God is using our church to do all across the United States and really across the globe to plant churches, to reach people for Christ and to make a difference. In Ephesians chapter two, if you were to flip over just a little bit from where we're studying today, verse 10, you'll see this, for we are God's workmanship. Now, some of you are, 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 You've got this verse memorized. You're already saying it. I can see your lips. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Now, one of the things that I love to do with the Bible is when it says we, I love to make that personal. I love to to see my life in there. And I'd encourage you to read the Bible in the same way. When you look at this verse, it's easy to say, for they are God's workmanship, right? They are created in God's workmanship and to leave ourselves as just someone who who reads it or really just observes it. But we should see this and we should read it, for I am God's workmanship. Now friends, how does it change their belief about what God has done in your life to read that as you are God's workmanship? I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, what? Which he prepared in advance for who? For me to do. That means there are good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. That's the significance of those last few words concerning the good works that God has for you. He has prepared them in advance ahead of time for you to do. God already knows the opportunities that are coming your way. He knows the opportunities he's going to give you. As we look to 2022 and and the days to come, he's made all the preparations and he is preparing you. Why? Because you are his workmanship. Created how? Created to do good works. But what is our part? Because we have a part to play. When you look at this verse, there are three Greek words used to translate time, and refer to time in the New Testament. And the first is aura, H-O-R-A, aura. As you can imagine, this moves into hour, right? It's translated hour. Second is chrono, C-H-R-O-N-O, from which we get the English word chronological, right? In order, chronological. Refers to time in general, a period or measured of time. But the word used here is, it is not aura and it is not chrono. It's the word kairos. Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. And it refers to an appointed time or a special occasion. The Bible uses kairos or some cognate of this word 86 times in the New Testament. It is referred to quite often. And it often includes the idea of opportunity, a suitable time for action to take place. It is not an hour. It is not chronological, but it is a seize the day moment. Kairos. We seize the day. We're taking advantage of the kairos that is given to us, the time that is given to us. There are these moments when opportunity knocks and we have a choice to answer or to move on with our lives. Now, listen to me closely. Look up here. Get this, get this. Our leadership team here at Union Chapel, we firmly believe that we are on the cusp of a Kairos moment in the coming days. We believe we're on the edge, the very edge of a Kairos moment that we will have an opportunity to seize opportunity, to seize the day or to let it pass by. Now, what do you wanna do? I wanna seize the day. I don't wanna just let it pass by as we have opportunities to to plant churches, to go places, to reach people here in, in our city for Jesus as well, I don't want that opportunity to pass by. Friends, we are on a Kairos experience. We're right there, just right there, which is why it's so important for us to walk in wisdom and to understand this text from Ephesians 5. Let me just pause and say this. If you would like more information on this Kairos moment, this opportunity that we feel we have, we're having a special meeting right here in this room on Wednesday, December the 8th at 6 p.m. And I hope you'll be here. You can RSVP online. It's our vision and prayer night for 2022. And so I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll join us. But Paul says to make the most of every opportunity. When opportunity knocks, don't let it pass you by. Seize the opportunity that God has planned for you in the coming days. Some would say, well, I recognize the opportunity. Will I see it? And what should I do about it when it comes? If that's you, and perhaps it is, I would say this. I would say, look for the opportunity And when you see it, act on it. Look for the opportunity while it is still an opportunity, not once it has passed you by. We're about to embark on the Advent season. As you know, we're leading into Christmas. I know we're moving right into that. Weren't the decorations and things beautiful this morning? The wise men from the East experienced a Kairos moment in their lives this star appeared and they recognized it as an opportunity to see the once born King of the Jews. And they made the most of the opportunity. But friends, contrast that with the priest and with the teachers in Jerusalem who also experienced a Kairos moment, but they responded differently. They they asked where the Messiah was, was to be born, but in the middle of this, in their preoccupation with other things, with their deep-seated indifference to God, they miss the opportunity. They miss the star. Can I encourage you to not miss the star of Advent this year? To not miss the opportunity to encounter the risen, saving Jesus Christ? to be a wise man, God provides the opportunity. It's our responsibility to be alert, to be watchful, to be aware, to step into that opportunity, to seize the day. And I don't know about you, I don't wanna miss any God-given opportunities. I wanna be spiritually awake so I can see the opportunities. I wanna pay attention to what's happening in the world. I wanna grab the opportunity while it's still there. It's interesting that the Bible tells us to do this because the days are evil. There are evil influences in the world in which we live and that might be an understatement. And if we're not careful, we can, We can be turned aside. We can be derailed from our true purpose of seizing the opportunity that God puts in our way. Let me just say this, spiritual apathy is very dangerous. It is very, very dangerous. And Paul is telling you and he's telling me that without some due diligence, you can actually miss the will of God for your life. You can miss out on an opportunity to do good And some people never see opportunities. They never see opportunities. Everything is calamity. Everything is an obstacle. For them, the days are evil, and that's why there are no opportunities. So in the circumstances of life, they find excuses, not opportunities. So what have you been finding in your life? Excuses? Reasons why you can't do good? Reasons why you can't seize the day? Or have you been finding opportunities. I can't serve God where I work. Nobody's a Christian. It's a horrible environment. I wish God would let me quit. Send me to a place where everybody knows the Lord. When someone on the other side of things, a different person, but in the same set of circumstances would say, wow, what an opportunity. Nobody here knows the Lord. Just think I might get a chance to reach them all for Jesus. One person says, isn't it awful how many people are caught up into to psychics or, or the occult or the study of, of mysticism or those things? Those people, they're just lost. They just don't want to hear the truth. When someone who observes that same exact thing might say, yes, the, the days are evil, but what an opportunity. Those people may just very well be hungry for something spiritual that will last that will meet them at their moment of greatest need. They may be ripe for a real encounter with the risen savior, Jesus Christ. It's all about how we view the situations, isn't it? Do we make an excuse? Do we we seize an opportunity? Every season in your life is either an opportunity or we make an excuse for why we can't do something. That's the teenager who says, I'm too young. There's too much peer pressure. I can't serve God right now. While another teenager in the same moment says, all my friends are wondering about life, looking for purpose, looking for something to throw their lives to. What an opportunity to tell them about God's plan for their lives. It's a single person who says, I'm so lonely, I wanna serve God. I, I would really serve him if he would just give me a spouse, if he would just help me to get married. Another single says, how can I help and use the time that I have available? I've got some extra time and I would love to serve the Lord. What can I throw my life at to make a difference? It's the young married couple who says our kids, they're too demanding. If I'm lucky, I can barely even sneak into church by the third song, let alone even serve somewhere, right? When another family in the same situation talks to our children's team and says, hey, could we get our kids and could we put together a skit or a drama and use that somewhere in ministry to to children and youth? Could we do something together as a family to make a difference so my children will see ministry happening in the family and through the family? It's the middle-aged person who says, you have no idea how much responsibility is on me right now. From work to family to stress, I have nothing left to give when it's another person in the same age and stage who says I'm at the peak of my strength. If I order my priorities right, I can really make a difference with my time, my talent, and my treasures. It's the retired couple who who might say, I'm tired. Let the younger generation do it. I've served my time. When another couple in the same season of retirement might say, we have our retirement income, we have opportunity, we have time, we, we don't need money, we've got time. What can we do for the kingdom of God in our golden years to make a lasting difference? You see, it's all about perspective. Will we see things and make an excuse or will we see an opportunity and seize the day? How will you respond to the moments that God gives you providentially? Will you step into a Kairos moment and seize the day or will you just let time tick and pass you by? One or the other, my friends, will happen. I promise you. Here's point number two, understand the Lord's will. Understand the Lord's will. You may say, oh, that's a big one. It is. The word translated understand in Ephesians 5.17, is something of the the fact of assembling facts, putting together an organized whole. My four-year-old daughter loves to do jigsaw puzzles. Now, back in my day, we used to like crack the box open and dump it out, but she goes, dad, grab your iPad. So we grab my iPad. She has this game downloaded where she can get, you know, 15 or 20 pieces. She's only four. We'll sit on the couch together, and she'll wave these pieces around and and make this little puzzle. We did it just a couple days ago. It's my opportunity to get some snuggle time. It's her opportunity to do a puzzle on Dad's iPad. It's win-win. But does life ever feel like, and does discerning the will of God ever feel like, someone took a 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle and just dumped it out there in front of you? And you go, what am I supposed to do with that? There's pieces. If I could just get a corner piece and then I could just start a little bit and find the flat edges, then I might work around the edges and then I might be able to put the piece and the puzzle together. And before you know it, that's starting to make a picture. Oh, look at that, I can kind of see it's actually looking like something, wow. That's the idea of Ephesians 5.17. Assembling facts into an organized whole. Understanding. Can you and I look at the circumstances of our life and can we see God at work? Can we see the big picture of the purposes of God? Can we look at our immediate circumstances and put them into that context and see where they fit? Maybe you've heard the saying, I can't see the forest for the trees. You've heard that, right? God can't see the forest for the trees. That's the way some people view and live their lives. Every event, everything is just a stupid tree. It's just in the way. It's not associated with the bigger purpose. So difficulty arises, what do I see? I see trouble. I'm offended that there it is, I'm discouraged. No, look beyond the tree, see the forest. See what God is creating in your life. See the big picture, see God working all things together for the good of those who love him to build your character, to build your faith and to make a name for Jesus Christ in our city and all over the world. See God conforming you into the image of Christ. Something of infinite eternal value. See that picture. Understand what the Lord's will is. So what is God's will for my life? I love Romans 8, 29. You might wanna look it up, but it it says these words, God's will is to be conformed into the likeness of his son. God wants you to be conformed. He wants you to be transformed. He wants you to be shaped into the image of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4:3 says it is God's will that you should be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 5:18 give thanks in all things for this is God's will for you. God's will is primarily focused on the transformation that he wants to do in your life. Now if we understand that, a whole bunch of things will begin to make sense. A whole bunch of things will make sense when we understand what God is ultimately seeking to accomplish in your life. Through the trials and the difficulties of life, they will be easier to deal with. When we understand the Lord's will, we can rest in his His love for us and his sufficiency and his power that will meet us at our point of need. The Bible says in the New Living Bible translation of Ephesians 5.17, it translates it this way. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what God wants you to do. Aren't those good words? Don't act thoughtlessly. In other words, act intentionally. Put some focus to it. Be determined. Don't act thoughtlessly with your life, but try to understand what God wants you to do. So what do you think God wants? For you in this coming season? What is it? What does God want for me right now? I think the key thing there is to remember that is what God wants. It's not what we want, it's what He wants. So easily we can transform those, but we've got to remember that this is about God and about what God wants to do with a life that will be fully submissive to Him. Those are two different orientations of life. Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So even Jesus had a perspective that this whole thing was bigger than him, that it was about the father's will for him. Let your focus this coming season be what the Lord wants in your life. So how can we know what he wants? Well, sometimes understanding comes by, by simply knowing and embracing the principles that are taught in the word of God which is why I personally am so excited that through 2022, we're gonna go chronologically through the Bible. We're gonna study the Bible chronologically together. We're gonna equip you with resources and tools to do that, not only on your own, but with your families, with your children, with your your youth. And we're gonna learn what the Bible says to us and why that makes a difference in our lives. We will study the Bible. And I believe studying the Bible brings understanding. And it can help us to understand and see the wisdom of God, how it applies to our life in our very circumstances right before us. Sometimes we know God's will because he tells us in the most personal way. That happened to Paul in Acts 27. He was in the middle of a hurricane, a hurricane. Here he is in the middle of a hurricane, dire circumstances, but God comforts him and told him what to do every single step of the way, God met him right where he was with the information he needed right on time, right on time. Let me help somebody this morning. Here's something that I have learned about this area in my life. You see a key, a key to understanding the will of God is a commitment to do the will of God once it is revealed in your life. If you will say, yes, God, whatever you have for me, yes, God, Not God, lay out all the choices and let me evaluate my options critically for what's the best for me. No, just say yes. It's an act of surrender. God, I don't know your will. I don't know exactly what you want me to do, but I commit right now that if you will make it plain and clear for me, I will obey. I will take a step of faith. I will walk into it and I'm taking my yes and I'm putting it right there on the table for you, God. Now you show me the direction. It's so much easier that way. Because once we've said yes, and then once the will of God is revealed to us, we've already said yes. So take the step. Somebody today, maybe you're wrestling with something with understanding the will of God and it hinges upon this principle of just saying yes and putting it out there. God, yes. Whatever you want, yes. I don't know what it is yet, but yes. Yes whatever you show me, I'll do it. And then listen. So Paul admonishes us to be very careful about how we live our lives, to to not live our lives indifferent or casual or sloppy. Live our lives carefully. So far we've learned that we should make the most of every opportunity that is given to us. And and we've learned that we should understand the Lord's will with the kind of understanding that produces a willingness to obey, to step into what God has for us. Here's the third thought. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul contrasts that command with these words. He says, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So why do people get drunk? People get drunk in life because they're not coping well with the realities of life. Perhaps they're soothing feelings of emptiness, loneliness, depression, rejection, or maybe they just want to feel an exhilaration, a stimulation from the outside brought into their lives. The problem is with artificial stimulants, they lead to addiction, excess, and reckless living, and they're ultimately destructive, He says, do not get drunk, but instead there's a much better alternative to be filled with the Spirit of God. Friends, I know that when we're not getting our basic needs, our internal needs met with our relationship with God, we'll often reach out to other things to fill that space, but we need God. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We need God to saturate our beings with His love, with His peace, and with Himself. And when that's not happening, there is a spiritual and emotional vacuum that is left, an emptiness, if you will. In the first half of this, this chapter, Paul has already warned us against behaviors that are destructive to our, our spiritual well being. But notice, He doesn't just tell us what not to do. He tells us what we can and what we must do in order to be satisfied and to be fulfilled. And that is what? To be filled with the spirit of God. Without that happening, our lives cannot resemble and be everything God wants them to be. So let me break this down and give you a little more detail here. The word translated be filled is play root. All right, so this is the present past imperative form. Now that may sound like blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you why it's important to your life. Here it is. The imperative form means it's a command. Okay, so this doesn't just say after you've tried everything, you might try being filled with the Spirit. No, this is a command. You are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit to live lives honoring to God. In fact, It is the power of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit that will distinguish the believer as a person who loves and serves God. You want to know if you love and serve God? Are the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? And are you filled with the Spirit? Somebody needs to hear this part. The command is not try harder. It's not... It's not try harder. Can't you get it together? Come on, try harder. The command is surrender and be filled. Maybe today you've been trying harder, wrestling with all you have, giving it your very, very, very best, misunderstanding the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Next, this verb is plural. It means that every believer is commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just for an elite few. It's for each and every one of us. Every believer commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Next, the tense of this verb is present. That means it's not a once and only uh, thing here. You see, I'm of the belief that too many believers think they're filled with the Spirit because 12 years ago they prayed and they experienced God's power and his presence in their life. No. 12 years ago, they were filled with the Spirit. I believe that. But God's question to us is not, have you ever been filled with the Spirit? His question to us is, are you filled with the Spirit of God right now? I was filled with God's Spirit for the first time when I was 16 years old in West Texas in a small Methodist church. I was filled with the Spirit most recently in the song that I sang right before I came up here to preach we must be filled with God's Spirit. Consequently, the fruit of the Spirit will be active in our lives and we will demonstrate the life of a believer. And that'll make a difference in the world. In Acts chapter two, Peter was filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter four, verse 31, Peter prayed and he was filled again. So why would he need to be filled again? because yesterday's experience is not adequate enough for today's challenges. You can can hold on to that. Yesterday's experience with God, yesterday's filling of the Holy Spirit is not adequate for what you're facing right now. Don't try it. And Peter needed a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in his life for what he was about to face. And so do you, so do I. We are to stay filled, continually filled. You should know that the verb here is also used in the passive voice. And that means it's something that God has to do. There's a lot of things that we can do. This is not one of them. We can't make this happen. The good news is God is ready and God is willing and he is able. Now, do you think that if he commands you to do something that only he can do and he's ready and willing and able, is he gonna withhold that from you? Not a chance, not a chance. If we yield ourselves to him, if we surrender to him and ask him to fill us with his presence, he will do it. I like to think of it this way. If we will, he will. And the we, the part you need to do is just say yes. Just surrender. Say, God, fill me with your presence. I don't want to go into what I'm going to go into without you. I don't want to and I can't. I'm not going to do it without you. Make that your prayer. If we will, he will. Here's the fourth and final thought for us this morning. is to give thanks always. To give thanks always. Verse 20 reminds us that we should always give thanks, not just when we feel like it, but we should give thanks to God the Father in everything. Friends, what has God done in your life in the last few weeks, in the last few months that you are thankful for? Take some time and write those down. Maybe open a a notes in your phone and just write that out. What am I thankful for? Maybe you need to share with somebody. This is, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your impact. I'm thankful for your relationship. I'm thankful for uh, this or that or the other. Share what you're thankful for with people in your lives. You know, too many times at Thanksgiving, thankfulness is pushed to the back burner right beside the green beans. Because it's about so many other things getting this done, getting this ready, they're coming, they're here, this went wrong, this spilled, we're out of this. <sighs> did you miss being thankful? The good news is you can decide to be thankful this morning. You can decide to look back on the last few weeks and months, make a list, be intentional about those conversations to express Thanksgiving to the people in our lives who matter, and to God who ultimately brings everything together. May Thanksgiving not just be a holiday on your calendar, but may it be a condition of your heart every day, every day. May gratitude fill our hearts for God's goodness and his mercy to us. Let I me mean, just stop and just be thankful. Be thankful always. One particular morning, I was just really having a tough day. I'm sure that never happens to anyone else. I was having a really challenging day and I just stopped and I just said out loud, God, this is what I'm thankful for. And I just shared it to him. It was just me and him. We were taking a drive in the country and I just said it. I just made a list. And and I found that, that God knew those things already I was the one who had forgotten. I was the one who had taken my focus off of the good and perfect gifts that God gives. So if you find yourself in that state right now where you're bitter, you're angry, you're hurting, you're alone, you're confused, you're mad. Take some time and just personally ride out and express, man, this is what I'm thankful for your list might have one thing on it and it might have a hundred things on it. The point is you do that exercise. So as we close today, I wanna to remind you that Paul tells us to pay particular attention to four things if it's our desire to live wisely and walk in wisdom, and I hope it is. He says, may this next season of your life be one that's filled with opportunities that you seize the day, the Kairos moments because God has them ready for you right now, as well as for us corporately as a church. The second thing, may you understand the will of God for your life and act accordingly. My prayer is that the jigsaw pieces would start to come together as you seek God and his will and and, and spiritual counsel, that God's will for your life will be unfolded, but first and foremost, that you would say yes to him in an act of surrender. Third, may you be filled with the Holy Spirit, because God's spirit is what produces the fruit of the spirit in us. And that is how we are known as believers, as people who love God, but we've got to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So in order for that to happen, we ask, we ask, and we receive. And lastly, may we always remember to give thanks to God for all he has done and continues to do in our life. Did you get it? Will you stand up with me? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning where we can open your word from Ephesians and we can see what Paul said to the church at Ephesus to know that these are also words for us right here at Union Chapel. Lord, to walk in wisdom. Lord, for that to happen, I know we've gotta be watchful for opportunities. Lord, you send them right and left, but sometimes they pass us by. And so help my friends today, help myself, help us all to be watchful, to look for opportunities and to act on them. Lord, for those desiring to know God's will for their lives, help them commit today to to do the will of God once they understand it, to say yes, to put that on the table before you. And Lord, as that act of of obedience and submission to you is made, I pray you would reveal the steps and help us to walk into those. And Father, I pray for a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit for everyone in the house here this morning who would want that. I just encourage you just to say, fill me. Just say, fill me, Lord, fill me with your presence. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't wanna live on the fillings of the days gone by. We wanna live on the filling of your Holy Spirit in this moment for these opportunities, for these challenges today. Yesterday's experience is not adequate for today's challenge. So pour out your spirit afresh and anew in this season for each and every one of us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, guide us to walk in wisdom. It's in your strong and mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's sing together.